Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and get them and turn them to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> the book of Hebrews in context is uh, one of the only books of the New Testament that they're not absolutely certain who the author of the book was. Um, it is the one exception to all of the books that uh, were accepted into the canon. It's the one exception of the book that did not meet all three criteria in order for it to actually be accepted. The main reason that it was accepted was because it it was just right on when it came with when it came uh, when it came into comparing it to accurate scripture and anybody who takes you can take any of the other, any of the other 26 books of the new testament <clears throat> and you will not find anything in the book of hebrews that is contrary to those 26 books of the new testament um, it falls in line with it but the, the book of hebrews was intended to actually take those who historically were individuals who were involved in old testament judaism and to explain to them who Christ was in context to Old Testament Judaism and the fact that he was the one that was, uh, was the fulfillment of the things that the Old Testament was pointing to. Um, chapter 13 is probably one of the, the best universally applicable um, chapters in this entire book. And by that I mean we're going to see where there's some stuff here in, in it that actually speaks to individuals who would have uh, who would have, uh, in context, understood it a little more clearly because of its uh, because of its its uh, involvement in Judaism? Um, but for the most part, this entire chapter is just loaded with good information when it comes to the applicable the applicable Christian life. In uh, chapter one, we're going to jump right in at chapter thirteen, verse one. He says, "Let the let the love of the brethren continue." And I'm not going to stop at every verse, but pretty close. There's a lot of stopping going to go on through here. Let the love of, of the brethren continue. The love, the word love that it uses there is the word Philadelphia. If you look it up in the Greek, there are three different definitions of the word love. In context, this one is Philadelphia, um, which is a love that is only shared and can only be shared between two individuals who are brothers in Christ. So this isn't to say that Jesus doesn't want us to love people who are not brothers in Christ to us, but it's certainly a different kind of love that it talks about when it's talking about us loving the sinner or us loving the individual who uh, may be contrary to Jesus Christ. He asks us to love all the time, but he is categorically being specific as to what he's addressing here when he talks about letting the love of the brethren continue. He is speaking about the love that is shared between two Christians. Two Christians have more in common than any one Christian and non-Christian could ever have in common. Um, the commonality in this, is, and this is something a lot of people ask me a lot of questions about, and I get people all the time that they'll ask me, um, they'll ask me what my position is on a particular sin. And the complicated thing about that answer is that sin is sin. And it's not softening sin at all for me to say 
that just because somebody's a sinner, it does not mean that Jesus doesn't want to reach them. You hearing me? In other words, I've been given no, and you haven't either, been given, we've, we've been giving, given no leadership whatsoever that tells us that it's okay to hate a sinner. We're supposed to hate the sin. The sin itself, the vehicles through which that sin actually occupies people, those things are things that we are supposed to detest. But the people who have been duped into or have come to think or believe that sinfulness is something that God's okay with, that's where we have to draw a line. We have to love the individual. Loving the individual, this is the only way, and, and I'll tell you what, folks, this is, this, is a, this is a time in our lives where a whole bunch of people in this country that we live in, they say they're believers. But I'll ask you this, and I ask you this quite often. The number has dropped considerably over the last 10 years. Roughly 80% of the people in this country, 80%. Was my mic on? Roughly 80% of the people in this country say that they believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Is there evidence of that? There's not. But you see, we don't get to be individuals who get to walk up and make a call in somebody's life because the complication in this is, and I'm telling you, this was something that I learned kind of the hard way, we don't know who is and who isn't. If somebody says that they are, but they don't carry out the acts, then you could say, well, Jesus told us you'll know them by their fruits. But have you ever noticed a young Christian, somebody who's young in the faith, they're still figuring it all out. And as someone who's been in the faith for over 30 years, if I'm not careful, I tend to judge other people based on my capabilities. See where this is going? Is it right for me to expect a two-year-old Christian to live the same life that I, a 32-year-old Christian, should be living? It's not right. So the complicated thing with us being individuals who judge, because that's what it is. Judgment is not looking at something and saying whether it's right or wrong, looking at somebody and saying that the life that they live is wrong. That's not judgment. That's inspecting fruit. Judgment is to give a final call on someone's destination. For us to look at somebody and say, they're lost and they're condemned to hell for an eternity. That's judgment. To even look at somebody and say, that person is absolutely saved is also judgment, and that's above our pay grade. It's above my pay grade. We don't get the right to be able to say who is and who isn't. The only thing that the Bible wants us to do is to conduct our lives in such a way as to provide the opportunity for those people who are either lost to be saved or those individuals who are saved to know Jesus more so that they may be more so conformed to the image of Jesus Christ himself. This happens through word and it happens through deed. When he says, let the love of the brethren continue, he's talking about the love that we have with one another that always provides room for growth. In my own life, I've experienced churches actually driving people out of the church because of something that they had committed or some life that they had been involved in. <coughs> Hear me, folks. Jesus Christ is the one who will destroy. We under no circumstances have been given a license to do that. 
Our responsibility is to provide opportunity to those who need it. It's to be a person that regardless of a person's history or a person's background, if they're a believer in Jesus Christ and they say that they're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus' desire is for us to restore such a one. The love of the brethren, that's what it is. How How many times can a brother offend you and you have to forgive them? 70 times 7, so 490 times. Is that the point he was making? 491, I get to give up on you? That's not what he was saying. 70 times 7, that number 7, we talked a little bit last week about, uh, about numerology. Be careful getting involved in numerology. Like I've, I've said before, man, I, I've met some people who say, if you take the 26th word or 26th letter from the 13th chapter, verse of every chapter in a Bible, it spells spaghetti. Therefore, God wants us to eat spaghetti. But I can give you some examples. The number six is the number of man. The Bible says so. The number seven is the number of God. The Bible says so. That number seven represents perfection. Twelve represents fullness how many tribes were there 12 how many apostles were there 12 how many months are there in the calendar 12 the number 12 represents fullness the number 40 represents new beginnings it reigned for 40 days and 40 nights what was the purpose to eliminate all life on the planet that the planet may start over again the people of israel when they were told to go into the land of Canaan, the young people came back and they said, let's go. God said he's given it to us. The old people said, whoa, there's giants over there. So God said, okay, go wander in the wilderness for 40 years until you old unfaithful people die off. And then I'll let the young people go in. New beginning. Jesus, before he actually officially started his ministry, he spent 40 <laughs> days being tempted in the wilderness. The proverbial gunshot to Jesus' start in ministry. The number 40 represents new beginnings the number seven and it being multiplied 70 times seven that number represents absolute perfection let me ask you something how many times in your life have you offended god through your actions and how many times has he forgiven you his grace is without limit It's so much without limit, and so help me. If somebody walks out of here and says, I'm going to use this to justify my sinfulness and to just do whatever I want to, you're walking out of here with a a wicked, evil heart, and you need to repent before the Lord right now. When we placed our trust in Jesus Christ, our sins were forgiven past, present, and future. Without limit. No limit. And I would venture to say, in my lifetime as a 51, almost 52-year-old man, I bet I've offended God more than 490 times. But His mercy is still new to me every morning. You see, His grace is given for the purpose of providing room for us as individuals to grow. Do you learn more by not making mistakes, or do you learn more from your mistakes? If we're believers in Jesus Christ with a repentant heart, we're going to learn much more through the mistakes that we make than we will ever learn, being completely ignorant of what a mistake is. Don't get me wrong. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. And as we grow in Christ, we become more and more discerning. 
And as we become more and more discerning, then we become individuals who communicate more clearly with the Holy Spirit, or I should say the Holy Spirit communicates more clearly to us. And when he does so, he gives us the ability to catch ourselves before we make the biggest of mistakes. And that's the goal for us to get there. But most of us as individuals who are human beings of the fallen nature, the word repentance was given to us for a reason. And people, I literally know people over the last, my 22 years in ministry as a senior pastor, I literally know pastor friends of mine who were not allowed to to say the R word from the pulpit. Because the R word makes people feel bad. But I want you to understand that that word repentance is a beautiful word. It's a word that gives us the ability to understand that any mistake that we have made in our lives, past, present, and future, Jesus paid for. And it provides provides us an opportunity to turn away from those things and to turn towards God, to learn those lessons and to grow in him. Let the love of the brethren continue. Phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia. By the way, what's the word Philadelphia as far as the city goes? What's it mean? City of brotherly love. It's a Greek word. They didn't coin the phrase. God did. Let the love of the brethren continue. What's real love look like? It never gives up. It always hopes. It has everything in the world to do with us as individuals continuing to advance in this relationship with God. And I get it, folks. I've listened to the Hellfire and Brimstone preachers, and I've stood here and I've said before, I'm not going to say what they're doing is wrong, what they do is between them and the Lord, but I'm going to tell you from, from my perspective, it's not a right way to preach. That's from my, my calling, my perspective. Because Hellfire and Brimstone preaching... It's very, very accusive and abusive and judgmental. I know regardless of what mistakes I've made in my past, that when I stand before Jesus, that he's going to look at me with the exact same forgiveness in his eyes as he did on the day that he hung on that tree. This doesn't make life easy but it makes it a little more bearable because the world has made people think, especially within Christian circles and inside churches, that if somebody makes a mistake, I am the hand of God and I'm just waiting to smack you across the back of the head when you make that mistake. Because we serve a God who is authoritarian. He's not authoritarian. I mean, honestly, do you think that the people in this world who he created could walk around in this world if he was authoritarian? The truth is, you can be whoever you want to be and he'll let you. There are consequences to that down the road. But as long as we have breath in our lungs, he's showing mercy because he's providing time. And the question is, how are we using this time? Are we using it to genuinely be individuals who are pushing forth his will, who are pushing forth his kingdom? 
are we individuals who are squandering it by pushing people away from Calvary rather than calling them to it? It says in verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to, hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You see, the key word in here is hospitality to strangers. These are individuals you don't know. How easy is it to show hospitality to someone that you have no idea who they are? Because in the Old Testament, and at the time that this letter was written, this would have been a very dangerous statement for somebody in the church to swallow. At the time that this letter was written, Rome was taking Christians and putting them in the Colosseums and allowing wild animals to tear them to pieces. They were putting them in a cage with gladiators. And Rome was actively seeking out who the Christian was. So if some stranger knocked up on your door in that day and said they were hungry, would you be hesitant when it came to inviting them in for a meal? If anybody ever told you that life in Christ is safe, they lied. It's not. And I venture to say that we, as a people, in this, in this United States, we've become individuals who seek our own peace and our own comfort. So much so that church in this country has become so focused inwardly that there is very little focus outward. Where's the lost person? They're out there. They're not in here. But when you look at a church and its ministry, does it expect those that are out there to come in here? Or does it go out there to find them? It expects those who are out there to come in here. And I'll give you a challenge. Show me one place in the scripture where God told the non-believer to come into church. I'll even go so far as to say that this building is not for non-believers. It's not his purpose. Can he save people in here? You better believe he can. But it does not exist to bring the lost person into. The church exists for us to be able to continue to encourage one another as the day draws near, as things get harder and harder, as the world presses down on you and you face the challenges and the struggles, this is a place for you to come, be encouraged by God's word, to be hugged by people who genuinely love you. People say, man, I go to, I go to church to re recharge my batteries. And you should. That should be the purpose for us to come, show gratitude to God for what he's done, to be reminded of what he's done, to be reminded of how he's done it and to be reminded by the people who, can, who also call themselves believers of this man called Jesus. Be hospitable to strangers? Does that mean help somebody change a flat tire? Help somebody at Walmart get something off the top shelf no matter how fast, no, no matter how much of a hurry you're in? And you notice that that's always when it seems to happen? I could be beelining into Walmart for something. And I just want to go shortest distance between two points is a straight line, get what it is I need, get out. I don't like to shop. 
I wish I did. I could, I could hang out with my wife a lot more, but I'm like, I think a lot of husbands, when she goes in the shop, I'll sit in the truck. But undoubtedly, when I'm in a hurry, there's always that one little old lady. It's about this tall. And she's not screaming for help. I just see her with her hands on her hip looking up. Hospitality says, I'm going to take that few seconds out of my day to stop and ask you if I can help you reach something. But you may be late for a meeting. Is it hospitable because you're late for a meeting to leave somebody in want? That's not hospitable. To be hospitable is to be open to opportunities, to be open to people. And then he threw that little gem there in the end. Some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, I believe that Jesus <clears throat> has been to earth more than the time that he came and died on the cross. That he showed himself in other occasions. And I can't help but it crossed my mind that that little old lady who needs something off the top shelf could be an angel or could be Jesus himself. Just for a little bit of a wake-up call in my life. And when we stand before God one day, we're going to give an account. What was the most important thing in your day? Well, <laughs> to be at work on time. If it comes to serving people or serving yourself, who do you want Jesus? Who do you think Jesus wants to be the priority? And the fact is, we could, in reality, be good at both of those. You know how? Just give yourself a few extra minutes on the way to work. Enough time to be able to help somebody and to make it to work on time. So you see, you keep pulling this back and back, and finally it comes down to what the real problem is. Some of us just aren't willing to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed in order for God to do what God wants to do. Where's the sacrifice in that? How many times did you hit the alarm button this morning? Or on the morning you go to work, how many times do you hit the alarm button? When the truth is, how many extra minutes do we gain if we got out of bed the first time that the alarm went off? Because do you know who I believe the people who are who missed the most opportunities? It's the people who put themselves in the situation where they have to run from point A to point B, from point B to point C, to point C to point D. Because the only thing that we're focused on is the next stop. Do me a favor. The next time you go somewhere, say a little prayer before you get out of your car. Lord, show me. Show me the opportunities for me to be hospitable. And if your eyes are open to hospitality, I guarantee you that you're going to see occasions where hospitality is an opportunity. Verse 3, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. 
He's not talking about people who are in prison because they robbed a bank. He's talking about the individuals who in that particular day were being thrown in prison because of their belief in Jesus. How many of you have ever thought about the things that individuals go through every day of their life that are connected to this faith? Ever been treated bad in life? Have you? I believe that's a universal yes, right? So he's not actually saying that you can, at some point, find yourself in one of those situations. But the reality and the truth is we have found ourselves in those situations where we've been persecuted because of our faith, where people have said things that were unkind because of our faith. The misery that, much, that many of us have experienced for doing the right thing, for doing what Jesus has asked us to do. If we forget about the people who are out there genuinely struggling, then we also forget about the opportunities that Jesus has provided for us. Because this isn't about our happiness again. And I, and I told somebody the other day, this is kind of, it's, 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 it's a paradigm. I mean, it's, it's one of these things that you really honestly, you never can really define it. In Christianity, you have to be miserable to be happy. You hear me? In other words, an individual who puts themselves out there and is faithful to Jesus, who has taken advantage of the opportunities that he presents, it will draw attention. And in many cases, it will be very unwanted attention. You will be criticized for the things you believe. But there's no more peaceful, happy place to be than to be criticized and to be abused. Jesus put it this way, Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that help in the persecution? I just brought up the Bible study at Grandview the other day. The Bible says, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the question is, how often are you persecuted? Because according to that scripture, for those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be, will be persecuted. Not might be, could be, should be, but will be persecuted. If we as Christians are not being persecuted, then what is broken down? It almost sounds strange to hear Paul tell Timothy, suffer with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. How many of you guys wake up in the morning and say, woohoo, and see how we can suffer today? We avoid it with every ounce of our being. Because we would much rather feel that false peace where we don't open ourselves to criticism, where we don't open ourselves up to persecution. So we become what I call the chameleon Christian. The one who has the ability to change his colors in order to 
camouflage themselves into their surroundings. I was a youth pastor for 12 years. I know how this works. I say pray for high schoolers all the time because I know how hard it is to be a high schooler and be a Christian. And it's easy for individuals in high schools and colleges, people who are even adults in their workplaces. It's easier for us to change our colors and to absorb ourselves into or camouflage ourselves into our surroundings than it is to stick ourselves out there. And we're human beings. The truth is, God's provided us opportunity. And again, he will let you live whatever life you choose to live. When you're around the people who live like the world, you be like the world too, he'll let you do that. But is that what he called us to do? It's not what he called us to do. He also didn't call us to jump into the circle and start beating everybody over the heads for the mistakes they make. It's too far the other way. He's just called us to take advantage of the opportunity. I've met these people who run around. They say, yeah, I tell Jesus, I talk about Jesus to everybody I come past. Well, Jesus didn't say to do that. Matter of fact, he actually said, do not throw your pearls before swine. The funny thing is, the opportunities, the genuine opportunities that Jesus has provided for us, they're pretty easy to see if we're individuals who just pay attention. But if we don't have compassion, we will never see the opportunity. So you remember those who were in prison as though you were in prison with them. You see what he did there? It's not just, hey, give them, give them a passing thought. He says, remember them as, as if you were in prison with them. That means take the time. You know, people can be pretty wicked. They could be downright devious. And I've said many times, out of all of my experience in the church, and me having some experience working in the secular world, who do you think the most cruel people were? My experience in the church or outside of the church? You may be shocked by my answer. I have never been tra treated more cruelly by individuals inside the church. The people out there, they're not nearly as hard on people as other Christians are. When we look at people, are we just religious about who they are, the mistakes that they make, the imperfections that they have? I said in a Bible study the other day, when you look at a person, even a person who's been cruel and mean to you, what do you see? For a couple of years when I first came here to Highland, it was rough really rough it was a Hackfield and McCoy situation and I find myself being really really persecuted by a few people in the church and I spent a good couple of years 
And my conversations with God because I had my ears closed and my mouth open? God, just move them out of here. Give them somewhere else to go. Give them... And you almost hated to ask that question because it's like you know wherever they go, they're going to be the same problem to somebody else. And it took me a solid two years before God goes, but you're here for them. The way he really said it to me was, do you really think that it's the 95% of the people in the church who are not a problem for you that you're here for? Of course I'm here for that 95%. But folks, there are individuals that when we look at them, we see them as people who are just mean. When the truth is, we should be looking at them and saying, what in the world is going on in their life that has put them in the place that they're in? What has to, what does a person have to be going through in their life for them to turn on someone who genuinely has nothing but the best intentions towards them? And you begin to think how unhappy they are. You begin to think about the lack of peace that they have in their lives. And before you know it, you have pity on them. Because you know that what they can have, for some reason they've avoided, it's missed them. And in rare cases, they may not even have Jesus. What are we telling the person who's struggling? What are we telling the person who's lost? Or we're nothing but critical to them. What are we telling them when we don't think about them? When's the last time you thought of a missionary? I can't name countries, but I can name situations that are real. We have missionaries that are in foreign countries that the Bible has been outlawed. They meet in cold, damp basements. And in the rare occasion where a Bible actually slides through the border, these people rip the pages out of the Bible and distribute them to the individuals who go to these churches. If this missionary is caught, they will cut their heads off on sight. When we first came here, our women's ministry actually took on a couple, and I don't remember the exact scenario, if it was a, a baby shower or it was something. And they said in the basement, we had to take all idea of religious things off of the walls. They had to retape it several times because somebody undoubtedly introduced my wife or mentioned her as the pastor's wife. They had to cut it, start over again. Because this particular country, when you sent a DVD or you sent an electronic over an email, they watched it before they let the people have it. There are people who working in shell companies that were set up just to provide them opportunities to be able to tell people about Jesus. 
when they go into these countries, they're alone. They're in the dark. They could end up just vanishing if someone found out what they were really there for. When's the last time one of them people got a minute of your time? Even in the thought. What about the fellow believer who walks across this country? The individual that we know is facing the same struggles and difficulties that we are. The ones who are being actively persecuted. We walk through our days just fine. And if I was venture to guess, many days we walk through those, we walk through our days and we just seek out our own happiness. Not only have we as individuals experienced those things, but we also know the possibilities and they're becoming even more real to us. Verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. See, there was this teaching back then. Some people think that Paul held to it when he didn't, and if you'd like me to prove that to you after church, I'd be happy to, to do that to you, for you. It was a belief that celibacy was more holy than marriage. Then there was also the belief that went beyond that and said, hey, it's okay for you to have two, three, four, five women. Or women, for you to have two, three, four, five men. But the truth is the marriage is to be held in honor. In, in, honor. in life, God has given us instructions and in everything. And if you want to get the most out of life that you can possibly get out of life, all that you have to do is accept it the way that God gave it. Because for us to adulterate it, for us to take it and turn it into something other than what God intended, creates problems. It creates issues. When the truth is, the issue's pretty much eliminated if we just accept it the way that God gave it. Verse 5, Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? This is a tough one. How much money is enough money? In other words, what is it that blows wind into the sails of our life? Because I'm very careful when it comes to individuals, even work schedules. I have people who call me and they say, hey, my work scheduled me to work this Sunday. What am I supposed to do about that? Well, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. <clears throat> and God's, God's not going to judge you. Because the place that you work said on this day, you're going to have to work on Sunday. The place you work might have to answer for that. But you won't. 
but I have met the individuals who wanted all of the things that, that life could afford. The boats, the big houses, the expensive cars. And because the life that they chose, that they believed would make them happy, was what drove them, then every ounce of their time was poured into the money. Do we realize how precious every minute of our life is? You can earn money, you can acquire things. <clears throat> you can get rid of things. You can get rid of money. But there's one thing that once you get rid of it, you can't get it back. Time. If I'm so motivated by money that I don't have time to be the husband God called me to be, what benefit is it? If I'm so motivated by money that I can't be the dad or the granddad that God wants me to be, what benefit is it? If I'm so driven by money that I can't take the time to help people who are genuinely in need, those who Jesus is trying to reach, what benefit is it? Be content with what you have. He's not telling us to be individuals who are losers. He also says in his word that if you don't work, you don't eat. And he even tells us to work so that those who are without, we may be able to help. Those who are in genuine need situations. So he's not telling us to quit our jobs and not work. He's not telling us that at all. He's just telling us to be good stewards with everything that we have. Manage your time well. Manage your responsibilities well. Because if we don't manage those things well, it's not a financial issue. It's a character issue. I know a lot of people who spent their entire life believing that they could buy happiness. Only to find that happiness can't be bought. Verse 7. Remember those who lead you, who spoke the word, who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes and forever. He's speaking to individuals who are individuals who are spiritual leaders. But when he points out that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and, to, and forever, they're not too far beyond the time that Jesus Christ himself lived. The responsibility that individuals carry as leaders is a responsibility to, to take seriously. I'll tell you what, folks. And if you continue to read on this, and I'm going to stop pretty soon, because I'm going to try to get you out of here before quarter after today. <laughs> I'm going to give an account to God for the way that I lead you. I'm going to stand before him. The things that I teach and the things that I do are going to be on full display. Had somebody send me an email. They asked me my opinion on a particular world topic. 
And I told him, when I preach, I will preach unapologetically. Sin is sin. Period. I will also do everything that I can not to be drawn away from the motivation that God wants me to have in everything that I think or do. And everything that I say, I'm going to make sure that it shakes with Scripture. Because I know for a fact that one day I'm going to stand before God. So if you come to me and you ever ask me a question about a direction in life, I will give it to you. Just as the Bible teaches it. Because I don't want to stand before God one day and be told that I'm responsible for misleading someone in their life. Not to mention, if my heart's right, I genuinely want the people who are lost in the wilderness to find their way out. I really want people who are seeking God to find Him. I want them to know what grace really is, God's unmerited favor. I want them to know who He is, a loving and caring God who will judge the unfaithful. But will also forgive those who are his. You see, we as Christians are not just to be models of righteousness. We're to be models of Christ. This is why we're called Christians. It literally means little Christ. Why do you think God gave us four Gospels that explain to us the character of Jesus Christ, the motivations of Jesus Christ, and who he is, the way that he did things? Why do you think the Apostle Paul refers to him so much as the example that we as individuals are supposed to be watching? Because what did he do to the woman that was caught in adultery that the people were standing around about to stone? He forgave her. What did he do about the person that was outside of the circle of Jews that I talked a little bit about last week? He pointed out their faith. And he granted them with what they asked for. This Jesus that we serve is very, very much misrepresented in the world we live in. You want to know why the people out there who don't know Jesus think that the church is so critical, think that Jesus is so critical? The only people, the only Jesus that a non-believer sees is the Jesus that's in you and me. So they've not made their judgment in Jesus' character based on Jesus himself, because do you think the non-believers really out there, for the most part, reading his Bible... Nope. They're defining Jesus Christ based on our actions. Because when we say we are a Christian, we've directly told them that the things I say and the things I do represent him. So who do they think he is? 
they think he's a judgmental tyrant, an authoritarian, someone who is exclusive, who's cruel and mean. They haven't even tipped the iceberg in knowing who Jesus is. And we have to accept responsibility for our responsibility. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope that you walk out of this church today encouraged. Not feeling like the preacher beat you up today. Because that's never my intention. But that we may know exactly what it is that Jesus Christ has called us to be in the world that we live in. Because Satan is the father of lies. He does dress himself as an angel of light. And he tries to get Jesus to be misrepresented in the eyes of those who are lost. His entire purpose is to push people away from Jesus. We have to know and be careful to make sure that we as individuals who claim to love Jesus, we aren't the ones that are pushing, pushing them away from Calvary. Is God judge? Yes. He is. But oh, how many times have I deserved to be hit over the head with a brick? I never have been. He wants us to love him. But we don't love him just by saying we love him. But we don't believe in him just by saying we believe in him. If we love him, we desire to be nothing more than him. And if we believe in him, then we believe everything that he's recorded for us in his word. And our desire, first and foremost, is to know it and become it. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he leaves this entirely up to you. I can't save you, but I will take whatever time is necessary to thoroughly explain to you the one who can. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws a person to him. And whether you're a believer or a non-believer here today, you could hear the Lord speak to your heart. And I've had people say, well, what's that sound like? Oh, you'll know. You'll know. You'll also hear the demons try to whisper in your ear to try to discount it. They will try to get you to stay in the place that you're at. Because their desire is to keep you unhappy. To prevent you from knowing what real forgiveness and peace is. But you see, Jesus' intent toward you doesn't change. He loves you. All that he wants is for us to say, I've been wrong for so long. I'm sorry. I will hear what you have to say to me. And I'll believe it. Trust it. That's all he wants. 
People say, well, then he's going to make you change your life. I haven't been a believer my whole life. And I can tell you that anything that I've walked away from since I've become a Christian, I've not regretted one of them. Matter of fact, I wanted to walk away from them. And my life didn't become miserable because of it. I became happier. And I couldn't imagine walking life with all the struggles and challenges and difficulties without him by my side. Telling me it's okay when I make a mistake. Picking me up and dusting me off when I fall flat on my face. Helping me through every challenge and struggle that I face. If you never trusted in Jesus, that's what awaits you. Don't do it because this preacher told you to. Let Jesus be the one, through the Holy Spirit, to call your heart and just be faithful and respond to it. If you want to be saved, don't leave this place today without talking to me. Don't reject the Holy Spirit if He speaks to you regardless of whether you're someone who already believes or someone who has not yet. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.